0: And we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices.
1: Good morning, Mary Kate Saliva with you with Veteran Voices. Thanks for joining us today as we've got a wonderful conversation teed up with a veteran and an advocate. Stay tuned for a great discussion, conversation. Uh, we're doing a quick programming note before we get started. This program is part of Supply Chain Now family of programming. It's conducted in partnership with our friends at one of my personal favorites, Vets to Industry. Learn more about this powerful nonprofit that is serving so many folks at vets2industry.org an initiative near and dear to my heart, the Guam Human Rights Initiative. Find them on LinkedIn and the University of Guam under the Regional Center for Public Policy. Okay, I seriously have, I can't wait any longer because this guest, she's my first guest, but also my very, very, very special friend. And this guest, she not only is the Chief Operating Officer for Team Themis, but she is also the co-founder And she is also a veteran of the United States Navy. So without further ado, let's welcome my very own favorite, Mary Bell, or as I like to call her, MK. We're double MKs today. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Good morning, MK. Good morning. I know. Was it you said that it was like talking to yourself earlier today when you saw a note?
0: Yes, I thought I had texted myself and had, I'm so busy. I thought for sure it had happened. I'd written myself a note, but it would know it was the other MK. It was you. So it was a nice surprise to start my day to
1: remind me about our interview. I know. I to think like looking down, like I obviously want my first interview with myself. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, we got two MKs in the house. I'm just really excited, everybody, because I never, ever meet another Mary-Kate. And so like to meet another MK is just... You know, you, you just gotta take it for what it is when it happens. So I really wanted to take this opportunity to introduce all of you to MK and get to know her a little bit better. So we'd like, I'd like to start this show with a little bit of motivation. You know, since we're both veterans here, I just, it took me back to thinking about basic training and getting that early motivation. I remember one time my drill instructor had me yell at somebody's socks to get their socks motivated for the morning. So even though it's morning, my time, late afternoon, MK's time, I wanted to start this out with a favorite quote by MK. So MK, can you start us off with a favorite motivational quote?
0: So one of my favorite motivational quotes is from the American revolutionary Thomas Paine. And if you're not familiar with Thomas Paine, um, he was recruited by American revolutionaries to come over from England. He was an Englishman, and um, he wrote Common Sense, which is one of the um, the foregrounds for the American Revolution. And he's just an amazing human being. And one of my favorite quotes from him is that a real man smiles in trouble, gathers strength from distress, and grows brave by reflection. Because it highlights all the things that we should do during the day, even when our day is complete crap and things are going wrong, we smile through the pain, we gather our strength because God doesn't give us more than we can handle, and then afterwards we reflect on what we could have done better.
1: Oh my goodness, I love that. Now I feel am. Do you all feel pumped up? Because I definitely do. I was like, "What? which aspect of that, the, this, the strength part, is this, is this pre or post coffee for you? Are you a coffee drinker, MK?
0: Oh, Lord. It's 3.30 in the afternoon where I am in Amman, Jordan. I think I'm on cup of coffee number five. So, yes, this is post-caffeinated, which everybody who knows me knows that's dangerous. But, yes, I'm highly motivated and awake right
1: now. <laughs> I think it's what they say, that the Navy actually runs on coffee. So, this is actually, this, that's probably average, <laughs> five cups in a day. Um, but I really wanted to, to take this way back not way back because you're still still, uh, the amazing MK that I know, but where did you grow up? I'm really excited to hear about your upbringing.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, we've never talked about this. I'm um, a military slash federal service brat, so I was kind of from all over um, for the very beginnings of my life. I was born in Indiana, so I'm a Hoosier, but I was raised for the most part in upstate New York, about an hour north of New York City. So I lived with my grandparents um, after my parents divorced, and uh, I was raised by them, and they are two, were two wonderful people uh, that raised me, and that's where I spent a majority of my life until I joined the Navy at 17.
1: At 17. 17. Wow. And, and how many my parents had to sign
0: the paperwork that said we agree to let her go. And they only did it because I said, if you don't, I'm just going to wait till I turn 18 and go anyway. So you might as well sign the paper.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I mean, see with this time of year, I, I don't know about being in-, in New York right now. Um, you know, having grown up in New England, my and up in Maine, I was just uh I was ready to move south.
0: It is nice being in Mon Jordan because New York right now is still abominably cold. um, And here in Jordan, it's sunny and like 65 degrees outside.
1: Okay. I'm on the next plane. (laughs) We've got to go over to you. (laughs) I want to say, what are some anecdotes or two uh, from your upbringing?
0: So I mentioned I was raised by my mostly by my grandparents. My mom was a single mom. And so she was there, but she was working two jobs, gone all the time. And so my primary influences growing up were my two grandparents. Uh, my grandfather was a retiree from IBM. So he was with IBM from its very beginnings. And my grandmother was a retired maternity ward nurse at Vassar Hospital. So two very accomplished uh, persons. And I'd say the biggest thing I can remember as a general like anecdote from my childhood is no matter who somebody was, whether they were mowing the grass or pumping gas or, you know, a big up person, the mayor of the town. My my grandparents treated everybody exactly the same, Um, the same level of respect, the same level of deference. Um, They didn't care what they did. And I, I remember cause you, you see things around certain people and people will react differently because in my opinion, that raised right. to people who are in what they would view as a lesser job. And I wasn't taught to, to do that. And if, if I ever had a question about it, I always got a response that was something very similar to doesn't matter what somebody does. They deserve your respect until they prove they haven't earned it. And so that's how I treat everybody in my life. And um, that's, <laughs> and the only anecdote I can think that like, Revolves around that is one time my brother and I were doing something we weren't supposed to be doing in the back of a car. We were like making inappropriate hand gestures out the back window oh, of our yeah. car. And we lived in a very small town. And um, the woman behind us got out at one of the few stoplights in our town and walked to the driver's side of my grandfather's car and told him what we were doing. And my grandpa, who is this kind, respectful, loving person, I've never seen him so angry his entire life. And they took us home and it was very like reminiscent of your parents are so angry, they can't find words. And they were just so floored that we would be so disrespectful to someone we didn't know. Like first time in my life, I remember feeling like genuinely disappointed that I had hurt my grandparents. Um, But yeah, that that lesson carried on that you respect everybody regardless and using inappropriate hand gestures while driving, not a good go, not a good choice.
1: Oh I love that about you your anecdotes especially from your your grandparents cuz I fortunately had uh, I was able to grow up with both sets of mine or say all of mine so really and and great grandmothers actually so I got the really um wise wise words or you know the wooden spoon came out that was still a thing um, <laughs> and well, cooking, I, don't, um, I don't know if you know, know this but
0: my great grandmother is from Maine. my family's from Maine so like my grandfather grew up in Maine and my great-grandmother was an immigrant from Nova Scotia to Maine. And so I spent all my summers in Maine and my great-grandma with a wooden spoon was either from making cookies or whooping that ass. So like it was going to be one
1: of the two. I know. Like as long as the pancakes stay in the cast iron frying pan, we're okay. So. <laughs> Gosh, but I, I really love that. Cause that was something that I remember even from my aunt. Um, she, she um works at a, a university and I remember just she was vacuuming her office and like wrapping up her trash and I'm like, what are you doing Don't you have um and aren't there custodians here that will do that and and she's like, you're never beneath cleaning up after yourself and I just remember like thinking of that like you know fresh, college kid and thinking like, what is she doing? Cause she's, you know, in her heels and her business outfit. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, But it was just a, you know, real wake up call then to just, yeah, you just treat everybody with that kind of respect and dignity. Like we all end up having an important part. So I really, I really love that. And especially, you know, coming in the military, coming from the military where what they like, force us all to get together get along even though we've got people from all across the country some folks are from around the world and you're just a melting pot together so I want to take this opportunity to talk about your time in service you know we got army veteran here navy veteran here so um, let's talk about um you know of course the branch that you served in and what did you do where did you go
0: so I served in the Navy, as you said, uh, my rate was, we use words in the Navy, we're the weird ones that don't have numbers. And I was a cryptologic technician interpretive, which is a really long-winded way to say I was a linguist. Um, but they put that cryptologic part on the front because our jobs while we're in are force protection, um, using technology to protect our forces forward. Um, so I spent my 20 years in doing exactly that. I spent most of my time in Iraq, um, a little bit of my time in Africa, and then a little bit in Afghanistan. But most of the time I spent in Iraq, I spent with Group 2 in the Navy SEALs and some time with Navy SEAL Development Group. And my primary job um, for them, while doing some interpretation um, for detainees and other things like that, um, uh, field medical clinics, uh, interpreting for the people who were um, unfortunately affected by the war in in Iraq. But most of it was providing real-time force protection for our forces on the ground. Um, which was an amazing opportunity. It gave me in a chance to really see what it means and looks like to keep um, the people who work for our military safe and to really understand the value behind that. Um, I think most people take for granted that They think the military goes forward and there's like this team of people behind 18 monitors that keeps a team of 15 safe. And that's not how it works. Usually one person behind a computer with a radio and they're praying to God that, you know, their plan works and everybody comes home safely. So you get a really good appreciation for just how difficult it is and just how worthwhile it is. Because at the end of the day, you get to sign that form that said 100%, you know, service accountability, no casualties. So that's what I did during my time in the military. I only spent 10 years active duty. I spent my remaining 13 in the reserves. And that's when I spent most of my time in Afghanistan. And um, I wasn't using my language skills so much because I'm an Arabic linguist and they speak Dari, uh, Farsi and Pashto. In Afghanistan, but I was able to use the technical skills that I was very blessed to receive in the military in Afghanistan to help keep our forces safe in the same capacity, um, working for a U.S. contractor. So that's my career in a nutshell. And now I'm happily retired in Amman, Jordan with my husband.
1: <laughs> and that's fantastic. And, and even though that you you say that you only did ten years, and even with that, the rest of the time in reserves, your channel is still serving now. And and you have you come from a military family, a, a service of. Of even your own husband. Can you you talk a little bit about your, your family service?
0: Absolutely. So my grandfather uh, was the first. He was in the Army Air Corps during World War II. Um, he, he served primarily in the Philippines and uh, got out after four years of service. He was our first military veteran. And then came my dad. My dad was in the Navy as well. He served a little bit of stint in Vietnam before he came home as well. And um, that's it from my direct side. And then uh, being married, I am married to a retired U.S. Navy SEAL from Development Group. And I'm proud to say our son just graduated BUDS, and he is now happily assigned at Team 10 in Virginia Beach. So we are a full military family.
1: I love that. I love that so much. And and it's like the, the, he stuck Navy too. Huh? I'm sure your your husband was saying you were of incredible influence uh, in his decision to go that route. And uh, so it was such a long career and meeting people from all over the world. I mean, some people end up their whole military career and they don't actually leave the United States. So the fact that you've been Outside of the country and around the world is pretty incredible. But are there a couple, one or two people that really stick out to you as major influences uh, in your military career? I'm sure it's going to be difficult to choose just a couple, but who sticks out to you? I
0: would, I would love to say it's hard, but it's not. There, there's only, oh, there's only really? a very small handful who really made an impression on me. Um, I have a very high standard for someone I look up to. And I, I take the word of mentor very seriously. And so because I had such wonderful examples of humanity and people growing up in my grandparents, the bar was set pretty high. And so I I do have that handful of wonderful people that I can look back on and I still talk to most of them today. Some of them are like family um, because they were just such wonderful influences. Uh, But the two I can think of that stand out the most. uh, One is a retired um, gunny from the Marine Corps. His name is Louis Monzon. And he has known me since I was 18 years old at the Defense Language Institute, learning Arabic, and then we deployed to Iraq together several years later. And he came into my deployment time at a a really critical time. I was a deployed mother for the first time. My daughter was four months old. I was on my first deployment to Iraq. I was not happy that I was away from my child, but I was very committed to serving my country. And within 48 hours of being in country, my daughter came down with 104 degree fever. They couldn't get a hold of her dad, and they're reaching me in Iraq to try to like figure out what to do with my daughter. And I about lost my cool in the worst way possible. You can in a military deployment, and Louis was able to calm me down, recenter me and help me understand what a military chain of command and what a military like teamwork, not just your chain of command, but what a real chain of command does. They support their sailor, they support their Marines, they support their soldiers and make sure they get what they need. And within two hours, my daughter was picked up by somebody from the command. They made sure she was okay, gave me peace of mind and they coordinated that from 5,000 miles away. And it was all through, you know, Louie calming me down, Gunny calming me down and letting me know that we were going to take care of it. So he set the example in the bar for me for what I wanted to be when I became a senior leader because I was only an E5 at the time. So he let me know, like, this is what you do when someone has a problem. You don't panic. You don't freak out. You maintain your calm, you execute execute the, the operating procedure, follow the chain of command, and you get things done. Um, so in the military, he was a shiny example of how to do that with kindness um, and with a smile on his face. And he really meant it. He wasn't doing it because he was in charge of me. He was doing it because he cared and because he was in charge of me. So he's probably my first. And uh, my second is a salty old master chief um, whose uh, name is DeLuki female master chief. Um, She was one of the first female CTs to be assigned to a boat, which was unheard of um, in the early nineties. So she, she blazed the trail for females being haze gray and underway as a CT, which is a really big deal. And she was probably the firmest, like no BS, give it to you straight. If you mess something up, she's going to light you up like the 4th of July because you earned it. And then she's going to tell you how to fix yourself after and help you grow into a leader that people can be proud to come to. So she set the bar for me for as far as like what it meant to not let the gender of, you know, I'm not a female chief. I'm not a female senior chief. I'm just a senior chief. And my job is to be senior chief to my sailors. It doesn't matter that I'm a girl. It matters that I'm their leader. And she really helped define that for me. Um, And just knowing what she'd been through and she did the whole thing with her hair held high and with these bouncy, bouncy blonde Shirley Temple curls, like, and she just commanded respect in her room. And you're like, how do you do that with like curly blonde hair? And she did. (laughs) Um, So she was just an amazing example for me. And I I think about her every time I have to deal with a really difficult situation, even now in the civilian world. And I have somebody who's really upset and and just not able to keep their calm, um, giving it to them a firm and fair answer that lets them know, you know, like, hey, we're here to support you, but you still have to do a job, um, the knife hand. She was great for that. So I really looked up to her. Yeah. And she was amazing.
1: That's absolutely incredible, and i was trying to imagine a smiling Gunny. I I don't know how often I've seen that, but that's that's pretty amazing. <laughs> you said, uh, he's from he's from Alaska
0: too. I remember you just said you got back from Alaska. And oh, that's where yes, he's the six foot five Alaskan who's <laughs> scary unless he's smiling.
1: <laughs> it was like I yeah, actually everybody out there was so nice, and and uh, we ended up um, watching the the dog sled race. So with the Iditarod, so it was really really incredible. But that's so cool. And then it, even with the, the fact that you said the the bouncing blonde curls, now I'm imagining Shirley Temple tapping, but the fact that she was able to command a room is, is absolutely incredible. Because I, I think recently I had that conversation with some friends of mine about that, about sometimes the women are tougher on other women when it comes to being in the military. And I'm sure that's in other workplaces as well, but being able to have that um, role model At such an early stage in your career, I think is, is amazing.
0: One of the things that was great about her too, was that it it didn't matter if you were a male or a female sailor, she gave you both guns the same way, which I know sometimes we see in our workforce, females are harder on other females and they are on their male counterparts because there's this, Unannounced, like you got to be better, and I, I don't yeah. subscribe that at all. You should treat everybody the same way, regardless of what, of what gender they are, and, and base it off their skills and ability. And you know, she was somebody who did that to a T, and didn't didn't differentiate or make some kind of difference in how she treated people because they were a boy or a girl.
1: And and did you see did you see that you ended up um, taking that to heart throughout your career? Was there an, a moment you, you can think on where that really came into play? Hmm.
0: So I primarily deploy with men. Um, there's very rarely a female on deployment with me. And if anything, I deal with the opposite with, uh, I, I had to deal with male sailors who didn't feel like they needed to respect the authority of a female leader. Uh-huh. Um, and which is always interesting because I mean, you can tell like how we're talking now. I always have a big smile on my face. I'm kind to everybody I meet until you mistake my kindness for weakness. And then you're going to have a bad day.
1: Here we go. Here we go. <laughs>
0: So I definitely had some times in my career where I was treating somebody the same way I would treat anybody else, but they were treating me differently because I was a female. Um, And I unfortunately had to flip that switch where I was no longer Mary Bell. I was Senior Chief Bell because I wasn't about to have somebody think or act in a way that was contrary to military order and discipline because they thought because I was a female that changed the rules. So any of the specific examples I have are, are pretty bolsterous and usually end with somebody yelling when they leave the room. Like I, I, I was pretty sure twice during my interactions, I was going to be sent home <laughs> um, for standing up for what was right, but thankfully I never was. Um, but yeah, I, I could just say in broad strokes, it, it usually was somebody underestimating me, not based on my rank position or my abilities, but because they they, they first saw me as a female before anything else. Um, and I think there is there is a little bit of truth to you have to prove yourself as a female in the military world. Um that is that is uh I think an unfortunate reality in some aspects. The military is getting much better about it. Um, but I'd be lying to say in my 20 plus years, I didn't experience some of that. But at no point when I did was I not able to stand up for myself and have the outcome be the right outcome. I never had to back down or like go tell somebody I couldn't voice my opinions freely and 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 openly. I use my chain of command, and when I use my chain of command, Things went the way they were supposed to. I know not everybody can say that, but in my experience, that's that's what I was I had encountered, and I had positive outcomes after each one.
1: That's fantastic. I, I mean, and you talk about uh, we were talking just before we started recording about about justice and like the you know and about your organization that you're part of now, and I think that just in, it's it's so clear now about why you're doing the work that you're doing. I mean, you have like these great role models, even starting as early as your grandparents' influence about treating everybody with respect and dignity. And if you see it not happening, the knife hand's coming out and MK is flipping the switch. <laughs> and you really, really advocate for that justice for other people. But I want to turn it around a little bit on on just sort of the your transition from the Navy into Um, And to being a civilian and just what that what that looked like. Um, I am sure those role models stayed with you throughout that time as well. But do you have um, if you were talking to, I'd say, a room of of active duty service members about the transition, uh, what are some some points that you'd like to highlight about yours?
0: Well, I had two transitions. Really, I had my transition from active duty to reserve time, which was quite a okay. gut punch. Uh, no one, nothing can prepare you for the transition from active to reserve. And then I had my my transition from reserve to retirement, uh, thirteen years later. And I would say the biggest takeaway I have from either one of those is don't ever let anybody who hasn't transitioned tell you how to transition. Um, it, it's like someone who's not a doctor telling you how to treat like bronchitis, like you're not a doctor. Um, So if somebody comes into the room and like, it doesn't matter what rank they are, but they've never left the military. They don't know what the civilian job looks like. And they're trying to give you advice on how to carve your future after you leave you need to find someone else to talk to. (laughs) There's so many wonderful resources for transitioning veterans now. Uh, We're so fortunate to live in an age where um, all you have to do is a stone throw, be a LinkedIn or one of your contacts to your command. You're going to find somebody who has been through what you're going through and is going to have sage advice for your transition. They're going to be happy to provide it because that... I really feel that culture of mentorship and leadership stays with you when you leave the military and there's so many people who want to help now and they've been wonderful and lucky enough to be able to channel that energy and those efforts into veterans transitions organizations so i would say my best advice to them is find one of those organizations um you're you're having one right here i'm sure there'll be links below and links above for previous videos for resources for veterans who are making that transition utilize those resources we're trained in the military to kind of get things done yourself but yeah. the good news is, as a veteran, everybody wants to help you. <laughs> so let them help you, reach out, use those resources. Literally, if you just Google Veterans Transition, you're going to have pages of sheets to go through of organizations who are literally there to make your life easier. Um, so go ahead and do that. And then I'd say the second point would be something I have heard a resounding tone uh, throughout my civilian life after leaving active duty was a negative connotation with having been previously military. Um, that's in that that connotation in some way, shape, or form diminished my capability to do my job. And I always found that so perplexing because anybody I'd worked with a civilian that was prior military was super easy to work with. They met deadlines. They were on time for work. They were personable. They got along with everybody. Uh, The things we were talking about earlier were this melting pot from all over and we're forced to get along. And that that ethos travels with you when you leave the military. So I was dumbfounded by why people would think being military had some kind of negative connotation. So I would say as you transition into civilian life, if you are interviewing with a company or you're talking to somebody and they're viewing your time in the military as a weakness, it doesn't add to your value, then don't work for that company because they don't understand what you bring to the table. They are literally getting a molded, formed, disciplined person who is ready to come to work and ready to get a job done, which in this day and age with, with you know the millennials, like you don't find that every day. So you're getting an asset with that person. So if you find one of those companies and they look at you and go, oh, you were military, it's time to close that door and find somebody else because there's so many companies out there that are itching to get somebody just like you and they're excited for your military service. So find somebody that's just as excited as you are about having been in the military and served your country.
1: Yes, 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 yes to all of that. Um, I, I think is and, and that was from your your time even coming from active duty, but you also have the experience coming off of out of the reserves. And I sort of followed in that footsteps of yours because now I am in in the reserves and coming off of active duty, and so. I just transitioned last year in the middle of a pandemic. So a lot of your, the points that you made really hit home for me, even as I was trying to figure out what company do I want to go for? And I was really trying to fit the mold of the companies that I was talking to um, and, and putting a lot less emphasis on my military career. But it turned out that, you know, a big part of why they wanted me in my current role is because of my military background. So I think you're absolutely right about being yourself and, and, it, you know, shame on me if I don't bring this up, but I have to, we have to highlight the very organization that brought us together, right? Okay. So like we do, we need to talk about them because Holty's going to come after us. Lindsay's going to say what in the world. So we gotta, we gotta talk about our beloved, the honor foundation is that's really where, you know, going back at where MK and I really met up it right still with this ongoing pandemic. Um, And to your point about uh, women, uh, female mentors, that was something that I felt like I I greatly lacked as well in my military career, being predominantly uh, in roles where it was uh, mainly men. And so having an opportunity in my transition to meet women like yourself, who, you know, without lack of a better term, badasses, y'all are badasses. And so to have the Honor Foundation, if you could tell us a little bit about that, and then the role of of uh, what your peer voted for, um, let our audience know about that.
0: Sure, well, we should remind them at the end that they peer voted for both of us. So we're just like, that's an important port for us to bring up during this conversation. Um, Do they regret that? (laughs) (laughs) I I highly doubt it. Um, So for our watchers and viewers that don't know what we're talking about, the Honor Foundation is a wonderful resource for transitioning special operations support and operators Who are getting ready to make that big life jump between military time and civilian time. Um, I have never seen either my time in the military or since a program that better prepares people for making that transition and not feeling like they're grabbing for straws or walking in a dark room. It is a group of um, former military operators, support, volunteers who are so vested in making sure that the people who spent so much time and love giving to their country are given back by securing um, opportunities. Opportunities for them in civilian employment and making sure they're ready for those opportunities. I got involved in THF through another one of my uh, military brethren, brethren, his name is Ryan Bauer Schmidt. Look him up on LinkedIn. He convinced me to do the THF. It's meant for transitioning people. And I was like, technically transitioning? I was doing that, you know, reserve to retirement thing. And I remember he told me about the program. And in my head, I was like, Ryan, I have a job. I'm like, I feel like I'm taking a spot from somebody else. And he's like, no, no, you should do this. And I think within my first two meetings, they assigned me a female mentor. And I think I told you that bar is set pretty high in the back of my head. And I was like, "Mm -hmm, female mentor, this will be great. And I met with my coach and within like 30 minutes, no, three minutes, she had me dialed in like a book, like knew exactly my personality. I had issues with like giving up control. I was an overachiever. I wasn't sure why I was there. And like in the best way possible, she let me know I needed to let this THF process work for me to help me on my next step forward and if i hadn't gone through the the honor foundation program i literally wouldn't be in the position that i am now doing the amazing things that i'm doing right now for refugees without them um they they do this wonderful program where they help you look at like your why like why are you who you are and why do you want to do what you want to do and you come out of this program with this why statement and a lot of military people go oh that's kind of kind of touchy feely. Uh, It's effective and it's what huge companies use to make huge revenue. So it might be really touchy feely, but it works. Um, And I came out of the program with my why. And my why drives me every day to help more people, to make connections, to continue doing what I'm doing. And um, through that program, um, I was able to make friends that I will have for a lifetime and connections that will last me my entire rest of my career and into my retirement. Um, And I was very blessed uh, during that process to have... um, The cohort's mostly men. I think there was four women in my group. I think MK can probably say the same for her. About the same. And at the end of the cohort, they vote for an honor man or an honor woman. And it's the person that to them embodies what the Honor Foundation is supposed to be about, mentorship, networking, supporting other veterans. And I was so blessed to be selected by my peers, as was MK, as the honor woman for my cohort, which was just, uh, and I can't, I still can't get over the fact that, that, uh, that, that they felt that way about me. And I, I'm like, you know what? And my why is about creating relationships, making meaningful contact and, and creating change in my world. And I did it with the Otter foundation, not even knowing it. And then I'm doing it every day. It's a, uh, it's a wonderful thing that uh, we were able to do together. And Mary Kate and I shared that. And it's it's a wonderful bond. that I know her and I will probably have until old and gray and rocking on rocking chairs in Maine.
1: Yes, uh, y'all. Yeah, don't forget about the rocking chairs in Maine. And I think that's so amazing because when they connected me with you, they had also connected me uh, was Shirley Bias, who's also, um, it, she retired, retired first sergeant, who also was peer voted to be honor woman. And I think, like, to your point about it, it really felt special to have our peers who, again, are also badasses, like the special operators in their respective communities. And here they are voting for us. And so, but it really, Uh, speaks volumes to the the amount of work that you put into the program. You really invested yourself into it. And I think that those who do that really get the full benefits and reap the benefits of the Honor Foundation. And just, uh, again, like you said, friends for life, 100%. Uh, I mean, we even created our own group of uh, just getting to connect with the other honor women. So that's fantastic. And I would say that finding my why was a huge part of that, of just being able to empower the next generation to, you know, to change their world. And I emphasized emphasized their world when I was thinking about my why because instead I really thought it was important to and instead of trying to fit in the mold of the rest of society that when you stand out and if you carry that torch, like I knew in the service were sheepdogs, were the defenders, but I think that opportunity when you get to step out and really figure out what you want to do and you leverage those skills like you did with with your language skills and being able to use that as a force for good and a force for positive change in the world and which is leads me to like really the this is the meat and potatoes what I've been waiting this whole conversation for is to talk about the work that you're doing now because I have to let the listeners know that you and I were scheduled to meet like a week ago but you're like messaging me that you're on the plane (laughs) like you're like at the airport about to get on the plane because you got to save some people out there in the world doing some incredible things and I'd love for everybody to hear what you're doing now. I'm happy to share. Uh, so, as I know everybody
0: watching knows, the American forces withdrew from Afghanistan in the middle of 2021 last year, and it created one of the largest humanitarian crises of our century and uh, that crisis is still occurring now. And there were several veterans, I was one of them, who were very taken aback and just wanted to help. We had friends there, we had coworkers who had family there, and we all felt our hands were tied and we didn't think we could do anything. And to our surprise, tens of thousands of veterans stepped forward, used personal relationships, network capital to move mountains in Afghanistan and get people inside of the walls of the international airport, get them on flights for the State Department. And then after the State Department left, continued to work to provide support for housing and food and just anything to support their allies. So they didn't leave them stranded. Um, it's been such an amazing response um, to see. And then during that time, I was able to connect to some really amazing and impactful people. And uh, one of those people was a young—I uh, shouldn't say young lady, but young woman—by the name of Sarah Lang. Uh, she has run successfully three NGOs prior to her and I starting our own NGO together. And her specialty is a civil rights activists and journalists who are in um, less than ideal countries uh, for them being there, and ensuring that if their safety was threatened, they could safely get across the border to another third-party country. So she has a lot of experience in operations, but the operations are a little more civilian-oriented. And then uh, we met while trying to secure some safe houses for some folks in northern Afghanistan. And we realized very quickly between her skills in uh, NGOs and my previous experience in operations, we had a marriage made in heaven. And uh, we partnered forces. And uh, we decided that we wanted to focus on women and children because in Afghanistan right now, if you do not have a male head of household, You can't leave the house, you can't have a job, you can't even shop for food. So literally a crisis of starvation and just survival has begun for these women and they have no contacts. So thankfully uh, we've been able to get word out there to a large group of women we now supply daily food drops to these groups of women. Um, it's We joke about it, uh, but we have like in-country Amazon, that's all through Signal. And we're able to get food packages to families, usually within 12 to 24 hours of requests. So we include everything from their basic food needs, um, feminine needs for um, feminine things, and babies, milk, and diapers. So we're able to keep these women afloat when their husbands have either been killed by the regime, or they've just disappeared, or they've been able to evacuate, but they were forced to leave their families behind. So uh, that's primarily what we do is to, um, supply sustainment to these women in country, but then also we have severe cases of women who have been raped, women who have been brutalized um, through uh, their families who have reached out to us. We've been able to safely and legally get them across the border into Pakistan and then get them onward visas to third-party countries who take them as refugees from domestic violence. So we've had several cases, unfortunately, meet that criteria, but fortunately enough, we've been able to give them safe haven and get them safely out of Afghanistan. So that's our primary focus. Uh, we also have a large group of refugees in a third party country that were looking for a final place for them to rest. I just visited them last week. Uh, Mary Kate was saying on the flight, she caught me while I was on the flight to go help these individuals. And I was able to meet some of the families that we evacuated um, and share some wonderful moments um, sitting on the floor, drinking tea, meeting little girls um, who didn't know who the benefactor was or the, or the moving force behind the flight they got on and being able to meet those girls and just let them know that they aren't forgotten there's a human being behind that keyboard who's working day and night to make sure we secure them with a better future um i couldn't think of a better realization of my why from thf if you asked me to um so that's our mission it's what we work 12 to 16 hours a day doing right now and i couldn't be more blessed to be where i'm at
1: gosh i'm so honored to know you mk like thank thank you so much for for what you do and what your team does and i really when you were when you were messaging me like you know, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I'm ready to do this podcast with MK. And you're like, I'm at, at the airport. and I'm like, you go, you go, go, go. Because I just I just know that the work that you're doing re- legitimately is helping, helping these women, helping these girls, helping these families and truly a blessing. I'm so grateful that you're able to use utilize your gifts and you found your why and you, you've taken that on probably more than and then most anybody that I know. So thank you for that. And is there something, I I know that we had talked earlier as well about sometimes people think that you you might have the the button and the answer to everything to be able to help uh, get families out. So just wanted to, I guess, maybe take a a note about what you, your organization possibly, probably can't do just so you're not flooded after this uh, (laughs) interview with, with asks. We, we will be anyway. It happens every time, <laughs> but it's okay sure. because in the,
0: in the slew of requests, there's usually one female who really needs our help. So it's okay. But you bring up a really good point. Um, a lot of people hear Afghanistan aid, and even though I don't say evacuation, they hear evacuation. And I, I'm very sorry to report that the evacuation flights have stopped. The Taliban government has come out and said that they want very much to be able to adhere to international standards for travel, which means everybody has to have a passport. So prior to this, evacuation flights were able to leave with just some form of identification, like an identity card, a birth certificate. Um, But unfortunately, those days have ended um, as the Taliban works to gain their international recognition. So unfortunately, those mass evacuations will not be continuing, and private funding for those flights has gone down dramatically. So there are still avenues for people, not through our organization, but people who serve the U.S. government or other governments like Canada or Australia. There are programs available. And what's wonderful is the country's been really good about publishing the information and how to apply for those programs on both the U.S., Canadian and Australian sites. So if you are in someone in need of evacuation or you have a family who is, I implore you to go to those websites and see if you qualify for one of those categories, because that right now is your best chance, even though it may be a while um, to get out, that's your best chance to get um, some kind of opportunity to evacuate if you still need it, need it. The flip side to that is, as the government begins to stabilize, or we hope to stabilize in Afghanistan, uh, our focus at Team Themis is more on sustainment of those people in country who wait for the regime um, to clarify its goals and its intentions. Um, so we're looking at programs for employing people locally, pushing out jobs that are becoming available for the local populace, um, because they are starting to happen. So if you are stuck in Afghanistan and you don't fall into one of the categories we, um, which we help, which is mainly women and children, um, keep your eye out on LinkedIn, on Facebook. There's lots of opportunities opportunities getting pushed there and we find them, we push them out as well. Um, so yes, unfortunately, those evacuation routes are almost impossible now. We can only do one or, or two off cases that have to do with domestic violence.
1: Well, thank you so much, MK for sharing that. Again, I'm just in awe of the work that you're you're doing and your team's doing. And I'd like to say about how how can they get a hold of you? Is there you have a, a website that people can can reach you at or what's the best way for folks to contact you?
0: We do. We have a website. It's uh, www.teamthemis.org And I'm sure you can put it in the comments below as well. Yes, um, we have... We have an intake on that site uh, where you can email us um, send us the details of what you're dealing with who you are where you are what you need help with Uh, we get a lot of emails just say i'm in danger help me and we can't do a whole lot with that so give us the details for the danger you're in the help that you need and we'll see if we can help and if we can't we'll try to we'll try to forward your email to an organization that can and then secondly i am on linkedin thankfully the load on linkedin on dming me has not gotten out of control yet So I personally respond to every message that I get, either saying that we are in a position to help or providing them resources to look somewhere else. And we will continue to do that. I'm hoping to hire some interns here in the next couple of weeks to help manage that. Um, But right now, DMing me and on my LinkedIn is a perfect way to get in touch with me.
1: Awesome, great. And you said said interns, is there opportunity here for for maybe some folks that are here in the United States that wanna help and wanna do more? Is there something that they can do?
0: Absolutely. Uh, The intern position we have open right now is for our social media coordinator. We need someone to manage our social media feeds. We try to push out on the daily, the food drops we're doing, uh, the sustainment planning we're doing, our education opportunities, and we really need somebody to manage that. Um, I've had some wonderful applications that we get to the second interview and then they just fizzle out and we really need some help. Um, It's just me and Sarah and five volunteers right now. And the volunteers all have full-time jobs uh, so we're looking for college juniors, college seniors, and uh, newly graduated college applicants to, to apply to the program. And we also are starting up our inaugural board of directors. We have some wonderful applications in already um, from some real high power individuals and we really think are gonna take Team Themis to the next level in helping people in Afghanistan. Uh, the board applications are closed for right now, um, but I highly encourage anybody that has any skill sets, especially in supporting people in Afghanistan or connections to women's organizations, please reach out to us. We're always trying to connect and grow our network to- to be able to help more women and children in country.
1: Fantastic. I love that you you highlighted that the network, that's really what this is all about, the introductions and, and stepping out of that, out of the military uniform into the civilian life, L- learning how to leverage connections and your network is huge. And so in the work that you're doing, I think that's amazing. If you're out there and you, you fit that scope of what MK and our team are looking for, please reach out. Uh, we definitely, they, let's send them all the the help that they need. Um, so thank you so much, MK, for your time today. Again, I was so, so excited to do this. I wanted to wait till the, the sun came up so I could get start off my day in speaking with you. And um, I just, uh, on behalf of the entire team here at Veteran Voices, thank you. Thank you, Team Themis, and thank you. We would love to invite everybody listening today to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And a big thank you to our partners at Vets Industry. Uh, this is Mary-Kate Saliva wishing all of our listeners an incredible day, incredible rest of your week. Stay motivated, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed like MK and her team are doing. And on that note, we'll see you all next time. Thanks.